We're going to continue to worship this Lord this morning with our gifts and our tithes and our offerings. I want to give you a quick update. Last week, you know, we were uh, joined Brother Abraham uh, in the, the video, which was awesome to be able to. I mean, every time, I know he was just here in March, but every time I hear him, I'm just inspired to love Jesus more and to go after what God's called us to. So, so grateful for him and for the technology that allowed us to be able to be a part of that. And as you know, uh, the four of us churches that were a part of that gave an offering to him to support what he's doing in India. And because of your generosity and the generosity of the other three Radiant Churches, we were able to give over $31,000 last week. Like, that gets you excited, doesn't it? Man, that is such a worthwhile investment in the kingdom. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for your generosity and that we can be a part of that. And Father, this morning, thank you that you have first given to us. God, thank you for Abraham. Thank you for the obedience at 43 years in his life of following you, regardless of the cost. God, thank you that he's one of those witnesses that goes before us, that bears a testimony to what life can be, what's possible through you and through obedience to you. And God, we pray you continue to bless him, God, that you continue to meet his every need, that you continue to be his provision, Jesus. And thank you that we have the opportunity to be a part of that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hey, if you're new here, thank you so much for being our guest today. We're just honored that you would choose to be here with us. And in the seat back in front of you, there are some communication cards. We would love to have you fill one of those out, and you can turn it in at the information table on your way out. And this week, I'll shoot you an email just welcoming you and thanking you for coming to Radiant Church, seeing if there's anything that we can do for you. And also, we have a free Radiant t-shirt for you as a way to say thanks for being here. And then today, uh, we have our Next Steps Engage class, which if you've ever wanted to join in the mission of Radiant Church and help us create more spaces for more people to encounter Jesus by using your gifts and talents, then at 11.30, right in here, we'll be meeting up, and the different ministry heads will be here so you can hear about the different areas that you can serve in and get you plugged into a place. So right in here at 11.30, uh, and it'll be awesome. So I encourage you to be a part of that. Now, if you have your Bibles with you, Go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 5 and Luke chapter 8. It's good to be back with you again. I think the last time I took two weeks off in a row was probably for surgeries. Um, other than that, I've always been here, but it was awesome having Marco here and really excited about what God's going to be doing in Radiant Bay City. And uh, again, having Abraham here was awesome. It enabled me to go spend a couple days in South Haven with my family, which was great. And was in Atlanta this week doing some leadership coaching. Uh, so just really excited to be back here. I might preach for about three hours today to make up for lost time. We will see. Um, but we're continuing our series, Luke, Investigating Jesus. And again, the whole idea is who is Jesus, what did he teach, and what is it, how does that change our life? Because we have a lot of cultural understandings of who Jesus is from media, from your parents, uh, from whatever it might be. But who is Jesus really? And we discover that by reading through the book of Luke and then saying, okay, now how does this change my life? What am I called to do in response to who Jesus is and what it is that he said? And today we're actually going to be talking about fishing. Which, any fishers here? Anybody? Nobody. That's pretty much how it goes. So, yeah, a couple of them in the back. Last year... My kids decided they wanted to go fishing. Uh, my little son watches Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, and there's an episode where he goes fishing. So, of course, now we're going to go fishing. So we go to Meyer, We buy the Mickey Mouse rod because you can't get anything good. It has to be a little Mickey Mouse rod. And I get one for my daughter because she wants to do it too. And we have in our subdivision a couple of ponds. And it's like there's hand-raised like family pet bluegill that live in there. And you go out there and you cast into it, like six inches is all they can do. They're just smacking the water with their rods. 
And I just, I'm not kidding you, every single cast, they're reeling in like a nine-inch bluegill. Just fat and disgusting. I can't take them off the hooks fast enough. They're just casting. Like, guys, just like, wait up just a second. Like, this is insane. Every single one. We've caught one fish by its tail. And I don't even know how that's possible, but they reeled it in. There was, the hook was through the fish's tail. They were just mobbing like piranhas swarming this little hook with half a worm on it. And so my kids' idea of fishing is it's just awesome. Every single cast, there's an immediate fish on the end of it. So they decide they want to go fishing on a lake. They want to go out with Papa on his boat, and they want to do some real fishing. And I'm like, all right. So we go out there on the boat. We're on a real lake, and they're casting like nothing happens. And they're casting, and nothing happens. They cast. They get a bite and pull up like a, a boot and seaweed and stuff like that. We didn't catch a single fish the entire time. They're like, this is terrible. What's wrong? I'm like, no, this is fishing. Like, this is what fishing's really like. What you were doing before wasn't fishing. That was something else. You were killing family pets. But this is what fishing's really like. And by the way, be quiet because we're fishing. And so I love that uh, when it comes to fishing, we all probably used to fish. At one point, you were excited about fishing. And then you discovered that the idea of fishing is a lot better than actually fishing. And uh, you probably discovered that you talk too much while you're fishing. And then you also discover that when it comes to fishing, we all lie about what we really caught, right? Every single one of us. We all caught a fish. It was like this big, but in reality, it was seaweed. Uh, so Jesus is talking about, about fishing now. And this is one of the greatest fishing stories of all time. And since it's in the Bible, we know it's not exaggerated, though. That might be our first inclination. But anyways, in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, it says, One day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in to him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. So what's happened is Jesus is going around. Last time I taught, we were talking about him casting out demons and healing sick people. Uh, you do that a couple times and you start drawing a crowd. So everybody's coming around. They want to see this miracle worker. They want to see this great prophet, this man of God. They're not sure exactly who he is yet. But when you're doing things like that, people want to come and see what's going on. And the crowds are getting so big that they're, he's standing by the, the water and like they're just pressing into him and he's getting into the water because they just keep coming. So eventually he calls to the fishermen, hey, there's a boat here. Let's go out a little bit so they can't crush me. And then also just using the natural acoustical properties of sound waves bouncing off water so more people can hear him. So he calls to Simon, whose name gets changed to Peter later on, and he says, hey, get me in your boat and let's just go out there and I'm going to preach. And like, what do you, you don't say no to Jesus. You're like, okay, sure, just take my boat. And it continues, and he says, When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it is deeper, and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, We worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. Now what's happened here is Simon is cleaning his nets. So what that means is that He's been out fishing all night. In uh, the Sea of Galilee, they used two different types of nets primarily. One you used at nighttime that was a gill net, and the fish couldn't see it. So you'd put it out there, and they would swim into it. They'd be caught. And then in the morning, you would bring your net in, pull out the fish, and then you'd have to spend some time mending it and repairing it before you stored it away. And then you went to sleep during the day, so you go out again at night. So Simon is sitting there thinking, like, Jesus, first of all, I let you use my boat. I thought that was pretty cool. And now you're really starting to wear out your welcome. 
And I don't know if you know this, Jesus, because you're not a fisherman like me. You're a carpenter. I don't tell you how to make chairs, but you feel like you need to tell me how to fish for some reason. But Jesus, this is the wrong kind of net. This is a nighttime net, and you're telling me to go out and cast a big, super visible net to fish. And fish aren't even smart, but the fish can even recognize, hey, don't swim into this thing. You're asking me to go out and put the wrong kind of net out into the water during the wrong time of day when everybody can see this net, so it guarantees that I'm not going to catch any fish. And not only that, Jesus, but it's like I've already fished this spot. We were fishing all night, the right time of day, using the right equipment, and we didn't catch anything. There are no fish here, Jesus. So it's the wrong nets, it's the wrong time of day, and it's the wrong place to be fishing. But hey, I guess I'm just going to go out there and do this. And I love his obedience. I don't know if he's doing it because of respect for Jesus, or like maybe he'll leave me alone if I just go out there and I cast the net out one time, and then he'll let me go about my day. But he goes out there in obedience, and it says this. At this time, their nets were so full of fish that they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish on the verge of sinking. Like, what the heck? How did this happen? This is, of all of the things that could have possibly happened, this is the most unexpected of them. This is a fishing miracle. You don't see a lot of fishing miracles, but this was an actual fishing miracle that took place. He's the wrong time of day, the wrong equipment. It's the wrong place to be fishing. But because Jesus said to do it, he said, let down your net for a catch. Jesus was so confident. He didn't say, hey, let's just see if we catch anything. He said, let down your nets for a catch, that you are going to catch fish. Peter obeys, and they're so full of fish that it almost kills him. Like sometimes the blessing of God can be so good that it will darn near kill you and all of your family and friends, if you've ever experienced that. It's like there's so many fish, it's breaking the net apart, and they have to call to their friends on the shore who come out, and they're trying to pull it up, and the boats are beginning to sink. I did a little bit of math. I, I figured out the average boat, how many people the average boat held, how many pounds the average male weighed at this time. And this, doing the math, just an estimate, that was over 5,600 pounds of fish. 5,600 pounds of fish. And I even figured out if it was tilapia how many that would be, but that's making too many assumptions. Can you imagine this? So many fish that it's destroying your nets and it's sinking your boat after you've been out all night and you're doing something impossible. God, this shouldn't be happening. This shouldn't be working. Have you ever had a moment in, like that in your life? God, you told me to do something. There's no way this is going to work. Oh my goodness, it worked so well that it might destroy me. This is what's happening to them. Their minds are absolutely blown at this point because of the miracle that they're seeing. God's just showing off here. And it goes on to say this. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus. And he said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. I don't know if you ever caught so many fish that it made you realize how sinful you were. But that's what's happened here. You see, it wasn't the fact that they caught a lot of fish. It was the fact that this, they realized there was something different about Jesus. They recognized that they were in the presence of the Holy One of Heaven. And when you get in the presence of Jesus, you start to realize just how messed up you are. 
He didn't go out fishing thinking, I'm a sinner, I'm messed up. Like That wasn't going through his mind. He wasn't just racked with guilt and condemnation and shame. He was just living his life like normal, like every day. Like, I'm a pretty good person. You know, I'm providing for my family. I'm a good guy. But then he realizes just how good and how holy Jesus is. And his first reaction is, Jesus, you got to get out of here. Like, no, Jesus, you have to go. Get away from me because I am messed up. Jesus, I'm sinful. I didn't even realize how messed up I was, but when I saw how good you are, now I started to realize that I'm really messed up, Jesus. And you got to get away because I don't want to defile you. I don't want to contaminate you. I feel really awkward just being in your presence. I just want to run away from you. And that's what happens to us. So many times when we encounter the presence of Jesus, it shines a spotlight on the sin issues that we have going on in our hearts. And instead of running to Jesus and saying, Jesus, like, save me, Jesus, forgive me, uh, empower me and strengthen me to overcome this issue, like, Jesus, clean me up. And that's what we should do. But the natural response of our heart when we come into the holiness of God is to want to run away. It's what Adam and Eve did when they sinned and they realized they were naked. Instead of running to God and saying, God, forgive me, God, fix me, clean me up, restore me, they tried to hide from him. And it's what's happening here with Simon. It's what happens with us. And this is what Jesus says. I love the response of Jesus to how messed up we are. It says, Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. Jesus doesn't condemn him. He doesn't shame him. He says, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and they followed Jesus. They had a miraculous encounter with God. Something like they had never experienced before, something like they had never even hoped for or knew was possible for them. They felt like they needed to run away from Jesus because of how good he was and how bad they were. But instead, something unexpected happens. Jesus says, I'm going to change you. I'm not going to cast you away from me. I'm not going to kick you out of my boat. He says, I'm going to make you a partner in what it is that I'm doing. So Simon, you've been spending your life fishing. I mean, you've been trying to provide for yourself. Your life has been about trying to make money, trying to provide for your family, build your business, build your life, all of these other things. And Jesus says, instead of condemning you and shaming you and kicking you out of here, I'm going to invite you into the family business. And I'm going to invite you into my family. The Bible says that we've been made partners in the ministry of reconciliation with Jesus. We've been called to be fishers. It wasn't just an invitation that was given out to Simon. It was something that was given to every single one of us. Simon wasn't just the one who was invited to be a part of the ministry of reconciliation, of proclaiming the good news that God has come in Jesus, that there's forgiveness from our sins, that there's new resurrection life that's available for us, that we have a God who doesn't kick us away, that doesn't shame us, that doesn't condemn us, but a God who loves us, who gives himself for us so that we can have new life and new hope and new purpose, that we can have the presence of God himself in us. This is what Jesus came to do for us, and he didn't just come to do that for us, but he called us to be a part of his mission. Like, there is no better job. There is nothing greater. I remember when I got hired to be on staff at Radiant Church in Kalamazoo, I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I'm going to be a research assistant. Like, I never imagined life could be so good. You know how stupid that is compared to what it is that Jesus has asked me to do? He's asked me to be a partner with him fishing for people to see freedom and healing and life and hope come to all of those who are hurt and broken and lost in our world. 
And he's called every one of us to do that. It says in Matthew 28, after Jesus has completed his mission, he's died, he rose from the dead, now he's going back to heaven, and this is the last thing he says. As Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth, therefore, that means because he has all authority and all power in heaven and on earth, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's for all of us. If you're a disciple of Jesus, if you've put your faith and your hope and your trust in him for salvation and you've received new life from him, then you have a new call. You have a new assignment in life. You have a new job that you are supposed to be about doing. Jesus called us to do a lot of, like there's a lot of things we're supposed to do as we live out the kingdom of God. But there's one thing that he was really specific about. And he says, your primary calling, the primary thing you're supposed to be about now as my disciples is going out and making more disciples. You're called to be fishers of men. You're called to be those who carry the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to all other people. That's it. That's our job description. And it's better than most of us could ever have imagined. Now Peter went on, and he made a lot of mistakes as you read through the gospels. You see that he was trying to call down fire from heaven to kill people, and Jesus was like, no, 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 let's not do that. It's kind of the opposite of what we're trying to do. He's proud, he's boastful. He's trying to say, you know, Jesus, let me sit at your right hand when you come in the kingdom. And he's like, we're supposed to lay our lives down for other people. Don't worry about that. When Jesus is arrested in the garden, he's trying to go lay down his life. And Peter's like, no, don't you dare do that. He's rebuking Jesus, which is never a good idea. He cuts off someone's ear. Like, he makes a lot of mistakes. But God still uses an imperfect and flawed person because he puts his Holy Spirit in you, combines his power into who you are, and enables you to go declare the good news of Jesus and use you to mightily advance his kingdom and see life and hope and freedom and healing come to others. There's nothing more that I want in my life. There's nothing more that I want to see happen in our city. There's nothing more that I want for our church and for us to be the people who are going out and recognizing that our primary calling in life is to make disciples. That what it is that we found in Jesus, we've been called to go and to declare that to others so that they can have what we have. There's no shortage of people that need what we have in this world. In our city, less than 5% of the people go to a church. That means 95% of the people here need to know and see demonstrated and heard proclaimed the good news of Jesus. People that are all around you. And Jesus has sent you to them. You've been called to be a fisher. Sometimes we don't, I mean, fishing sounds better to us than it really is. Sometimes uh, we don't like to go and do it. Sometimes we lie about what it is that we've caught when we've gone fishing for Jesus. But I think the biggest problem most of us have is that we don't know where to start. We don't know how to fish. We know Jesus has called us to do this, and in this story we read about, we don't really see how we do it. We just see that we're called to be fishers. And so if we skip over a little bit in Luke chapter 8, and this is a long passage, but we're just going to read through it, we see this incredible example of how it is that we can fish. Luke chapter 8, verses 26 to 39, says, So they arrived in the region of Gerasenes, across from the lake of Galilee. And as Jesus was climbing out of the boat, a man who was possessed by demons came out to meet him. And for a long time he had been homeless, naked, living in tombs outside the town. That's a real bad life. And as soon as he saw Jesus, he shrieked and fell down in front of him. Then he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? 
Please, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already commanded the evil spirit to come out of him. The spirit had often taken control of the man, even when he was placed under guard and put in chains and shackles. He simply broke them and rushed out into the wilderness, completely under the demon's power. And Jesus demanded, what is your name? Legion, he replied, for he was filled with many demons. And the demons kept begging Jesus not to send them into the bottomless pit. They happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby, and the demons begged him to let them enter into the pigs. So Jesus gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw it, they fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been freed from demons. He was sitting at Jesus' feet, fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Then those who had seen what happened told the others how the demon-possessed man had been healed. And all the people of the region of Gerasenes begged Jesus to go away and leave them alone, for a great wave of fear swept over them. So Jesus returned to the boat and left, crossing back to the other side of the lake. The man who had been freed from the demons begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him home saying, No, go back to your family and tell them everything God has done for you. So he went all through the town proclaiming the great things Jesus had done for him. How awesome is that? Here you have a man who's as messed up, as broken, and as in bondage as you can possibly be. So controlled by demons that he's running around naked, living in a tombstone without a home. He's shackled with chains, has supernatural strength and power to break the chains, and then he beats up the people that are trying to control him. Like, you won't find people that are more in bondage than this guy is. And there's nothing that anybody could do to help him. They tried to do their best, but there's nothing that they could do to help this man. But Jesus comes, and just one word from him sets this man free, sets him back into his right mind. He receives life from Jesus, and he's restored to his community. That's the power of Jesus. You're not going to find someone in your workplace, at your house, or wherever that's more messed up than this guy was. And so if Jesus can do this in his life, then he can do it in the life of any other person on the face of this earth. And this is what Jesus wants to do. This is why Jesus came, was so that life and freedom and healing can come to everyone who's in bondage. And we might not all be in the same level of bondage as this guy was, running around naked in tombs with shackles. Like, I hope that's not the case for most of us. But we were all living in death. We were all living in bondage. We were all living shackled by sin. And Jesus came to us and he miraculously set us free. And so this is how I say, if you want to know how to fish, number one, you have to have a miraculous encounter with Jesus. That's where it all starts. It's where it started for this man, a miraculous encounter with Jesus. I'm afraid that so many times what we think of as how God changed our life is that we had a big test that we were studying for that was going to be really hard, so we prayed to Jesus and we passed it. You know, you don't need Jesus to do that. You could just study. Like people that aren't Christians do really well in exams. Or people like, you know, I, I really... There was this guy or this girl that was so cute, and I was like, Jesus, please let me marry them. And then, then you got married, and I'm like, I'm so grateful that God does that. But people that aren't Christians get married. Or you're like, Jesus, I just need you to give me a good job. And please, Jesus, give me a good job. And then you get the job. And like, that's the extent. Now, I do believe that God provides jobs for us, but people that aren't Christians somehow manage to work and support themselves. If 
we just have all of these things that we think of as this is what I'm going to God for. This is my encounter with God. It's, it's all of these kind of superficial, base, surface things that are all about making our life better, accessorizing the already good life that we have. If that's all that Jesus is to you, if that's the only encounter that you've had with him, then you're never going to leave everything to follow him like Simon Peter did. You're never going to go through the suffering and the hurt that Simon Peter did. I love it. Simon Peter denies Jesus three times. So like, I don't even know who that guy is. What are you talking about? That's pretty bad. When you're a disciple of Jesus and you've been with him for three years and then you completely deny that you even know him and cuss the person out that asked you, like that's not a good day in your faith journey. You're not going to journal about that one. Had a really good day today, cussed someone out, denied the Savior. But Jesus still restores him. It's because he had a miraculous encounter that he came back when it was hard. It's because he had a miraculous encounter that when Jesus told him, you're going to suffer and die for me someday, he didn't run away. Like, forget that. I'll study from now on on my exams. I don't need Jesus' help anymore. But he had a miraculous encounter that changed his life and then made him say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I'm leaving my business. I'm leaving my family. I'm not even going to sell my boats and my nets and make some money. I'm just leaving it all right here on the lake to follow after you. When Jesus said, you're going to have to take up your cross and die to yourself and follow after me, he didn't say, whoa, whoa, I'm out. Like, he had a miraculous encounter with Jesus that made it so he was willing to go through the pain and to endure. Because he had a miraculous encounter with Jesus, he was obedient. And his obedience led him to write letters in the Bible that we have today. It led him to plant churches. He became the, the head of the church at that time, leading thousands of people to Jesus. The day that the Holy Spirit was poured out, he gets up, preaches maybe the most simple sermon that's ever been preached. No points, no illustrations, no stories, no graphics, nothing. And 3,000 people give their life to Jesus in one sermon. It's his first sermon he ever preaches. That's what Jesus can do with someone that's had a miraculous encounter with him. But if you weren't willing to do those things, maybe you haven't had a miraculous encounter with Jesus. And if your whole faith, if, if Christianity for you is built upon these simple things that you're asking Jesus to do for you, and you've never had the miraculous encounter with him where he said, get away from me, Jesus. You're so holy, you're so perfect, and I'm so messed up. Jesus, I need you to forgive me. I'm going to leave everything now and I'm going to follow you. My life is about you now. It's not about my career. It's not about even my family. It's not about my business. It's not about any of the things, Jesus. Because of the encounter I've had with you, I'm going to follow after you all of the days of my life, no matter what it costs me, because I've found something in you that this world can't offer me. And I'm willing to give up everything so that I can have what you have to offer. If you haven't had that in kind of an encounter with Jesus, and maybe you aren't a Christian. Maybe there's something that's more that God has for you. Maybe there's something more that God's calling you to. And I'm not saying that to make you feel bad about yourself or to condemn you or to shame you. But I'm doing it to say you can evaluate and say, am I following Jesus because he's going to make my life better? I hope. Or am I following Jesus because I had a miraculous encounter with him where I saw that he's God and I'm willing to leave everything else behind so that I can know Jesus. So if you haven't had that miraculous encounter, then you will never be able to fish because you won't be able to tell anyone else about the miraculous thing God can do in their life because you haven't encountered that and experienced for yourself. 
You can't say, Jesus can change you and save you and set you free when you've never been changed, when you've never been saved, and when you've never been set free. Jesus has so much more for you than you could ever possibly imagine. If you haven't had that encounter, then you just cry out to Jesus and say, God, reveal yourself to me. I don't want to just follow you anymore for these other stupid reasons. I want to follow you and I want to know you and have a desire set inside of my heart to go after you because I found you to be of supreme worth, of supreme importance, because I can't deny that you alone are God and that you love me. And the second thing that we have to do is we have to go home. I, I love it. Like, Jesus does the most miraculous thing you can imagine in this guy's life. And like a little puppy dog, like, he wants to follow after Jesus, right? Like he's trying to get in the boat. There's no room, but he's like, excuse me, excuse me, like coming through, like scoot over John and Peter. And Jesus is like, no, man, you got to get out of the boat. Why? Jesus, what you just, like I'm coming with you. Like I'm never leaving your side again. I'm giving you the hug. Like you are not letting go, Jesus. Not letting go. But that's what I would be doing, right? And you would too. I went too far. <laughs> but that's what I would do. Like, I'd be like my kids. Like, they're hanging on to my ankles. I'm like, guys, I've got to go to work. And they won't let go because of what he did for me. And there are times, honestly, where like, when I'm going into surgery, it's like, Jesus, you know, if I had to go home now, that wouldn't be the worst thing. Like, there's something inside of us that longs to be with Jesus. Like, we know that this world isn't our home. This isn't, this isn't right we're not experiencing the fullness of relationship with Jesus like we will one day. And we're homesick for him. And the Bible describes it as the disciples now, when Jesus leaves, after they spent three years, like, you know, hugging on him and following around after him and knowing him to be the resurrected Savior, and then he leaves. After that, in every one of their letters, you see a homesickness inside of them, that they're longing for the return of Jesus. Because even though they're able to experience him, the Holy Spirit's inside of us, we just long for Jesus. And we look around at the hurt and the suffering and the pain in this world and the things that are breaking the heart of God. There's something inside of us that we long. Jesus, come back. Make everything right. God, we want your presence. I love Paul. He's in jail. And he's trying to decide. He's running. Should I just die and go home to be with Jesus, which is a lot better? Or should I stay here for your benefit? He's like, okay, for your benefit, I'm going to stay here. And this is what Jesus tells the demon-possessed man that's been set free. Like, I know you want to be with me, and someday we're going to be together forever, for all of eternity. But for a few years here on earth, what I need you to do is to go home. I need you to go back to the places that you were from. Someday you're going to be with me. But right now, I need you to be here. That's what Jesus is telling us. A lot of times we think, okay, I really want to be effective. I really want to reach a lot of people for Jesus. I got to go to Africa. I got to go to South America. I got to go to the inner city, whatever. We always think that if we go somewhere else, that there's going to be this great catch that we have. We're going to reach so many people for Jesus. And it's because if you've been fishing in the same place for a long time, you haven't caught anything, what do you do? You go to another spot, right? What's the miracle here? Is that they've been fishing in a spot where they haven't caught anything Jesus says, let your net back down for a catch. They cast the net back down into the same spot, now the supernatural power of God at work, in the same spot where they've been fishing with no results for all this time, their net starts breaking because they catch over 5,000 pounds of fish. And this is what Jesus says. You go back to your home. You go back to your family. You go back to your city. You go back to the people who know you. 
Maybe it's the places where you've been trying to tell people about Jesus for years, for months, decades maybe, and you haven't seen anything happen. But Jesus is telling you, go back home. Go back home and let down your nets for a miraculous catch. Because that's the place he's positioned you. I love it. Every person that employs you, they all think that they're hiring you to do like software design or accounting, to be a teacher or whatever it might be. No, you're a full-time paid missionary in that workplace. Jesus has positioned you there. He's positioned you in your family. He's positioned you in your circle of friends. It's the place that he's called you to fish. And now with his miraculous power, you can go back to the place that's been barren, where there's been no fruit, where you haven't seen anything happen for years and decades, for however long it might be. But because of Jesus, now you can cast the net back out and you will see people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. You will see people restored, healed, set free, and new life given to them as they're saved. And it's not because of you. It's because of Jesus. And all we have to do is be faithful and obedient to go back home. And you know why that is? Because the people at home, they know you better than anyone. Like, I can't pretend that I'm someone I'm not with my family. I can do that here. My family knows who I am. My friends, they know who I was. And when I made a decision to follow Jesus, when I had a miraculous encounter with him that changed my life forever, Everybody else who was around me started to notice. It wasn't just some guy coming in, and I have nothing against, like, you know, God obviously calls people to go to different places and do different things, but I think that's sort of the exception. Most of us are told just to go home and to fish there and to put down our nets for a catch. God's positioned you strategically where you are with the people that you're around so that he can use you to bring salvation to them. And then the third thing is to tell everyone what God has done for you. One of the big holdups in sharing our faith is that we don't know what to say, right? We think we have to say all, have all the answers. We've got to have a great presentation. We have to have great oratory skills. We have to have pie charts. We have to do all these things. We have to have answer for every Bible trivia question there is. We have to explain transubstantiation, pre, post, mid-tribulation. Like we, have, like, we have all these things. I just got to have all my stuff together. I got to be able to make a Loctite argument, be able to rest my case, all that stuff. But that's not what Jesus asked us to do. All he told the man was to go home and tell them what God has done in your life. Anybody can do that. In fact, you are the most qualified person in the entire world to tell someone else what Jesus has done in your life. There's nobody that can tell someone what's happened in my life better than me. There's no one that can tell someone what Jesus has done in your life better than you. And I can't do that for you. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to know how everything works. All that Jesus said was that you have to tell them what it is that he's done in your life. I love later on in the New Testament, we see it says that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb, which is Jesus. He died on the cross. He shed his blood for our sins, for our forgiveness, to free us, save us, set us free. That's already been done for every person on the face of the earth. And it says, and by the word of our testimony, which means by telling people what God has done in us. What do you have to say? What do you have to do? so that Jesus can use you to fish and to proclaim the gospel and see more people receive the life and the freedom that you found in Jesus? You just have to have a miraculous encounter with Jesus that changes you forever and puts new desire in your heart to go after him and what he's called you to. 
you have to go home. You have to tell people what Jesus has done in your life. So here's the questions for you this morning. Where is your home? Your physical home, your family, your friends, your workplace. Who is your home? Who are those people that are around you every day that need a miraculous encounter with Jesus that is going to save them and set them free? Who are the hurt, the broken, the lost, the suffering, the oppressed? Who are those people that are around you every day of your life? Because Jesus has called you to them. This has really hit home for me a lot these last two weeks. I find out that someone that I interact with a couple times a week who I never would have thought anything about and I've never really talked about Jesus with, sadly, found out that they were so miserable in life that they had made a plan to kill themselves and they tried I had no idea how hurt they were but that was someone at my home someone that I encountered all the time I just never recognized how hurting they were and how much need there was in their life I've been meeting people in my neighborhood just as I'm out taking walks and praying, like, God, give me an opportunity today. Like, people are crying and opening up to me. And there's there's just so much hurt that's all around us. So many people are living in bondage. So many people are oppressed. So many people have lost hope. They need Jesus so desperately. And you have what they need. In fact, you're a partner in Jesus' business of setting people free. But it only works when you do your part. It only works by the word of our testimony. Jesus' job was to shed his blood. Now our job is our testimony. We have to go home, we have to go to these people, and we have to say, you know what, my primary calling in this life is not to make money, it's not to advance my career, it's not to have toys, it's not to go fishing on the weekends, blah, 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 whatever it is. I'm here to make disciples. And let it hit home the hurt that's around you. Let it hit home what awaits people that never know Jesus on, on this side of eternity, the eternity that awaits them. We don't like to talk about hell a lot anymore because it's offensive to a lot of people. But it's a real thing, and it should motivate us every day of our lives. Is that, God, I love my neighbors, I love my family, I love my work, whoever is around me, enough that I'm willing to look like a fool for you and to be rejected because I don't want them to receive what they deserve. I want them to receive what I didn't deserve, your grace and your mercy on my life. It's why Jesus came. It's why he's included you in this process. You guys stand with me this morning? So as we, we close, as we close our eyes, we're going to pray this morning, all right? Because this is real. This is important. This is one of the most important things that we're going to do as a church. Jesus called us to fish. Jesus called us to go out there and tell other people about what he's done in our lives. And this morning, you need a miraculous encounter with Jesus. Have you just been going through the motions? Has it been religion for you? But this morning, you want to encounter God. This morning, you really want to know that he is God 
and have a fresh revelation of his holiness and his goodness in your life. If that's you this morning, just as you're signing a face saying, God, that's me, you just slip up your hand so, so I can pray with you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's good. All right, so here's what we're going to do. Message us a couple more questions real quick. We're going to ask God to put some place on our hearts. Where is it that you've been called to be a missionary? Where is it that you've been called to go to declare the good works of Jesus in your life? Take a moment. Let, him, let that sink in for you. And then who are the people that you're called to? The Bible says there's people of peace out there. People that are ready. People that are waiting for you to go to them to receive the good news of forgiveness of sins through Jesus and new life through him. Would you ask God to make that clear to you? Who those people of peace are in your life? And Jesus, there's no one like you. You're altogether unlike anything else that we've ever encountered. So good, so pure, so just, so perfect, so full of love, God, in everything. You're everything we need. And God, we need fresh revelations of your goodness. It says that your mercies are new for us every morning. And God, this morning, as we're sitting here, for every person that raised their hand to say, God, I need new revelation of you. God, we pray like Paul did over the church of Ephesians that you would open the eyes of our hearts so that we could see how high and how deep and how wide your love is for us. God, it says that your goodness is what led us to the place of repentance where we turned away from the old life and walked after you. Jesus, we pray for a fresh revelation of your goodness over every heart in this room. Jesus, that we would just be in awe of you. Holy Spirit, we know that you're here and that you're, you're walking through the aisles, that you're hovering over hearts, that you're singing songs of salvation. Jesus, would you open our ears to hear your words that are spoken over us this morning? Jesus, that we would have an encounter with you, that we'd be more sure and more aware of your goodness and your presence than we've ever been before, that it would be the most real thing in our lives, that we would be like... All like Isaiah, who, who just falls before you in, this, in your presence, God. They would be like all of the people through the Bible as they encounter your tangible presence. They just fall before you. God, would you come in that way, that we would experience you, that we would encounter you in a way that changes us forever, that we would never be able to deny your reality, and that we would never be able to walk away from you. God, open our hearts to see how blessed we are by you how great your affection is for us, how accepted we are by you, how great this resurrection life is that we've received from you. And God, would you send your Holy Spirit down fresh and new on us, God, empowering us, bearing fruit in us, empowering us with gifts of the Spirit, giving us the ability to hear your voice speaking to us, to see the things that you're doing. And God, would you put a new conviction in our hearts the fact that we've been called to make disciples, the fact that when we let down our nets, there will be a catch. Jesus, break our hearts for this city. Jesus, break our hearts for those in our workplaces, in our families, in our circle of friends. God, that we wouldn't be able to be content with it anymore, that we wouldn't be able to just go on with life as normal, knowing how broken and how far they are from you. But Jesus, that we'd be willing to sacrifice everything 
so that we would be able to see them come to that place where they found what we have in you. Jesus, as we're making plans to expand, going to two services, Jesus, we want to see this place filled, not for us, but for you, filled with people who are far from you this very moment, but that you're going to use in the coming weeks and months, that you're going to use the people in this room to proclaim your goodness to them, and we're going to see people come in to receive life. We're going to see marriages that are going to be restored. We're going to see people that are sick that are going to be healed. We're going to see people that are hopeless receive hope. We're going to see broken hearts put back together. We're going to see people find love in you, God. We're going to see people repenting of their sins and coming after you. Jesus, we're going to see all of those things because it's what your will is. It's what you died for. It's what you included us in this whole thing for. Jesus, use us. Change our city. Change our families. Change our friends. Start by changing us this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome. I'm going to call my prayer partners forward, and they're just going to be right here on the sides there's anything that we can pray with you about, we would absolutely love to do that. But this is my, my charge to you this week. Don't go home and just do nothing with this. This is really, really important. God wants to use you in more miraculous ways than you can even imagine if you just have the courage and the obedience to go back to that place you've been fishing for a long time and let down the nets once more. Well, if you're not going to come forward for prayer, I encourage you to go out, drink some coffee, make some friends. And uh, if you're going to be here for the Engage class, it'll be at 1130 right here. Uh, go out, be blessed, and we'll see you next week.